Today, we're reminded about how bad humans are at keeping promises, but we're also reminded about how good God is at keeping them. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome, happy you're here, and I hope you guys get edified and built up and learn something about the Bible. So, yeah. um, good, like, good intro. Yeah. I thought that was uh, very nice and uplifting. It yeah, it's not our no, usual. No sarcasm, no exactly. spiciness. Yeah, we changed it up a little bit, yeah. you know? Hey, yeah. don't forget to like, subscribe, comment. Get oh, the yes, word out very there. Important. Yeah, very important. yeah, but yeah. A little more uplifting, you know, mm. today. A little more truthful because we need something happy. Let's be you know, real. Jeremiah, prophets. It gets it's heavy. And it's going to continue yeah. to get heavy as we go through Ezekiel and Daniel and stuff like that. Yeah, Jeremiah yeah. feels like uh, America in the year 2020, 2021. Ah, uh, yes, it surely yeah. does. Just, everything's on fire. Mm-hmm. Everything's sad. Yep. Yeah, we just have all this news. It's also depressing. Except they were literally being taken over by a foreign power and. You know, killed in large numbers and stuff. So mm. they had it worse than we did. Yeah. Well, I think some other countries are going through that stuff right now. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, prayers go out to those people. But um, yeah, the, the I think the big takeaway from all these is we can always be dependent on God's word no matter what's happening, and we can trust His promises. Right. That's so. right. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Mm. Right. That's that's said in the midst of judgment. Right. Yeah. And chaos. So it's true for God's people today. It's yeah. Amazing. And we're, it's crazy. We're going to see this more in this as we as we finish up the book of Jeremiah. But just the contrast of God's judgment and God's salvation at the same time. Even like if you're looking at the the just the you know the superpower of that day, Babylon. Yeah. You see God's using them, but also like God's judging them as well. But also God's bringing redemption through the. It's just a crazy situation and like I feel like just personally we don't like hearing judgment at all in our culture we don't like to seeing God as a God of judgment but through judgment God brings redemption which is really cool so Amen. that's right so we're gonna see more about the covenant today that in the new covenant comes on the scene mm-hmm. and um, you know again that theme of exile has been so big in this in this book mm-hmm. so we'll see the exile actually occur and Jeremiah himself going on his own sort of exile yep and uh, yeah, some some like a tiny glimmer of hope at the end. Oh, it's gonna be good. Yeah, I mean it's very unsatisfying, but it, it is something. Yeah, so. it's something. <laughs> awesome. So, chapter thirty. Yeah, let's just jump right in. Chapter thirty. Um, these are this is as we said the heart of the book, chapters thirty to 30, 33. You can really see a difference, like twenty nine, like through like yeah the early thirties. You can see a huge difference. That's right. So. Um, so we see verse 7, right? Alas, that, that day is so great, there is none like it. It's time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. So God's bringing this judgment, this horrifying judgment, but God's still going to save even in the toughest times, mm-hmm. yep. as, we just, as we saw in the last chapter. And then we see in verse 8, And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck. Mm-hmm. And I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him. Yep. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Mm. So they're going. He's going to take away their slavery, and they're going to be servants and slaves to the true God and the true King. Right. When it says David, he's not saying that David's going to come back from the dead, but he's saying mm-hmm. that the messianic King is going to come. Right. So even as we saw that jeconiah's curse the cutting off of that line mm-hmm. there is still hope throughout of david this mention of david the davidic covenant god's going to fulfill that covenant and bring a true king right 
And then it says, Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, behold, I will save you from far away, Hmm. and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make you afraid, for I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. Hmm. That's that's the future hope that we're going to be looking at, that God's going to bring them out in this this second exodus, Mm -hmm. bring them to salvation, and that salvation is something greater than just physical deliverance. Yeah. See, this has been the problem for Israel the entire entire history, is God keeps saving them from physical circumstances, and as soon as he saves them, they sin against God. Mm. And they incur a harsher judgment right. because of that. So when God saves Israel out of the, in the Exodus, they get into the wilderness, and as soon as they receive God's law, or even before that, they're, they're sinning against God. They're sinning, and so the problem that that Moses points out is you need to circumcise your heart. You need a heart change. So how is God going to do that? How is God going to solve their biggest problem, which is not Babylon or Syria or anyone else? It's themselves. Their heart, which is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And the answer comes in the new covenant, Hmm. the new covenant. So chapter 31, we see this idea of the new covenant. First of all, we see um, verse 15, as we're speaking about this judgment, very important verse. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. So this is a a picture of the judgment that's coming. But God is working through these circumstances to bring a new covenant. Now, when we talk about a new covenant, we got to think back on that term covenant. We we haven't maybe defined that in a long time. Mm -hmm. But a covenant is is an oath a bond in blood, mm-hmm. as, as we mentioned. So it's a agreement between two parties where they would often pass through the pieces of killed animals to resemble what would happen if they broke that covenant. So we saw this in Genesis chapter 15. That's the first covenant that we see, a ceremony where God alone walks through the pieces to promise to Abraham that he's going to give him the land. Yep. We see this in, in Genesis 17 where circumcision is instituted as the human sign of that covenant. Mm-hmm. We see it in, well, we saw it in Noah as well, where the whole world is cut off and Noah makes the sacrifice and God makes a covenant with him to preserve the world, Mm -hmm. to keep the world working, right? And to not bring judgment in that way on the earth again through through water. So God is promising to care for and preserve the world and his people. Mm -hmm. And then we saw the covenant made in Exodus chapter 19. Right with the stipulations in chapters twenty and beyond right. of what we're supposed to do, but the covenant is one of I'm going to make you a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is my promise, and you have to obey me if you want the land, if you want the promises. You have to be obedient. Right, and then of course we saw in Second Samuel chapter seven the Davidic covenant, mm-hmm. where God covenants with His servant David, saying that His His throne will be an eternal kingdom. And from his throne, essentially, will come one who will rule, be a Messiah, who will rescue God's people. So all these covenants we've seen, and when we've seen that they can't be fulfilled by human effort. Mm-hmm. So God's going to bring one final covenant that will be the culmination of all these covenants, that will fulfill all of these covenants and show what they were all about. Right. So whether it's the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, they all, they all meet together in the new covenant. Mm. So this is what we see in chapter 31, verse 31. Super famous passage. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, 
though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So we're seeing that husband imagery coming back in, husband and wife imagery. God gave them this covenant, but they broke it. So this time, God's not going to let that happen. Well, how's he going to fix that? Verse 33, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So he's going to inscribe the law upon our hearts. This is interesting because back in chapter 17, right? What was that? Was that chapter 17? Where he's talking about how this, the heart is deceitful above all things. We saw before that that their sin was engraved on their hearts. Right. That they they only knew sin, that they that's how they lived. And God's actually going to put the law on their hearts. He's going to give them some sort of ability to follow his law. Right. This is a new thing, right? Yeah. So for the first time, they actually can obey God. They can follow him. And not only that, but he says, verse 34, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me, mm-hmm. from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. So they're, they're going to know me personally. So it's an invitation to a personal relationship with God. Right. This, I mean, this is... This is very important. This is foundational for the entire New Testament as well. Right. We saw Isaiah 53 is a huge passage, right? It speaks to the atoning work of Christ. This is so important as well. Mm-hmm. The covenant God makes with us is one that saves sinners. Yeah. And he says, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Yep. So God's going to make an atoning sacrifice for sin. He's going to forgive that once and for all and bring us into a state where we can have we can be obedient to him. Yeah, incredible. This, yeah, I mean, so God is going to make a way, even in all the covenants, all the promises, they were unable to change the human heart. Hmm. But this covenant will change the human heart. Right. And that's the, that's the fundamental problem that we have. Mm-hmm. I heard someone criticizing this idea in Christianity and evangelicalism of, they call it a savior theology. Mm-hmm. They say, well, we really need this liberation theology. Liberation theology is this kind of idea that as as Christians, we need to change structures in society. We need to be social revolutionaries. We need to overthrow the system and bring in justice that way. And he criticized this idea that we would talk about individual salvation. Oh, it's so individual. It's so self-focused. It's um, it's all about, you know, you're a sinner, you're a bad person, and we're going to make you good. Hmm. And and that I thought that was just staggeringly short-sighted and silly. Right. right? Obviously, what we're talking about here is you can never institute justice in the world in a real sense until people's individual hearts are changed. Right. Of course, this isn't just individual. This is also corporate. Right. But it, it has to consist of individual pieces of that constituted family, this, this new people being transformed. Yeah. And so when God's law is on everyone's heart, ultimately speaking, right, God is going to be uplifted and society is going to look how God wants it to look. Yeah. Totally we try to think, we, we think that we can put a structure on society that can make people good. We're fools. Yeah, that's a huge problem with a worldview. If you're if you totally remove the individual from from the corporate, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, at all. Like, and it doesn't make like it might make sense in some worldviews. I, I could say that, but it doesn't make sense from a biblical worldview and an understanding of how God has created us as individuals to yes interact corporately. But yeah, yeah, strange. Yeah, so when, once we have our sins forgiven, once we're transformed and, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, right, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that's when we can begin to live how God wants us to live. Hmm. Otherwise, we're just trading sins for different kinds of sins. Right, yeah, for sure.
And of course, that's the, that's that whole chasing after utopia that we talked about. You know, yeah. that's it's impossible. It never leads to anything good. I'm just, I'm just again, I am blown away at a promise like this in the midst of Jeremiah, and in, in the midst of we're cut, like again, we're just if you just read this book through, we're coming off the wrath of God on this people for being disobedient, and yet. God responds this way to the remnant of his chosen people. Like, yeah. that's crazy. Like, it reminds me of, like, I mean, obviously, we're, we, you know, you get the language of yoke and stuff like that with Jeremiah. But it reminds me of Matthew 11 with Jesus. He says, my, you know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's you know, right. come to me, who all who are, you know, heavy laden, and I will give you rest, you know. That's what God is doing. He's offering his people rest and peace and a light yoke. It's not burdensome. So this, this great God is going to transform us so that, you know, we can actually love and you know serve God. Yeah, it's a beautiful serve Him freely with a willing heart. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful it, turn in Scripture. Absolutely. And and is it was it too small a thing that God had said? I'm going to sustain the created order mm. despite your actions. I'm going to take care of this world in the New Covenant. Was that too small that He added on top of it? Mm. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to make you my people. Right. I mean, that was too small that He also added upon that. <laughs> I'm going to show you my law. I'm going to show you how to live and honor me and be a kingdom of priests to the rest of the world. And on top of that, he added, I'm going to set my throne mm. in Israel and unite humans in and the divine. I mean, right. but all of that was too small compared to what he did in the new covenant. Mm. He said, I'm going to find a way to make sure that all those covenants are fulfilled, that you actually are transformed, and that your greatest problem is dealt with in the new covenant. Mm. God doesn't leave anything to, to chance. He doesn't have anything to... Um, human effort, because right. if he did, we would fail at that. Yeah, we get we have a whole thousands of years of human history to prove that point. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So verse, I love how he goes on to say though, in this really poetic, beautiful passage, verse thirty-five. Therefore, thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon, and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Hmm. If this fixed order departs from me declares the Lord. Hmm. Then shall the offspring of Israel cease <laughs> from being a nation before me forever. Uh, so it won't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's as fixed as the heavens. It's as yeah. fixed as the, the created order. Thus says the Lord, verse 17, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Hmm. We, I mean, we're very proud of the fact that we have, um, you know, have these dudes, these rich dudes going up into space, right? It's like very, in terms of the scope of the universe, it's laughable. We've, yeah. we've discovered nothing. Um, we've we've dug down at the earth. I think we've, the farthest we've dug is maybe two miles. That sounds about right. The, the earth, I mean, what is the diameter of the earth? It's a couple thousand miles. I don't know. I don't know exactly how big, but we've barely scratched the surface of the earth. And he's saying if you can plumb the depths of the earth, or if you can explore the expanse of the heavens, then you, then you, you know, I'll, I'll cast off Israel. <laughs> if you can do anything, yeah. right? And he's what he's saying is, as you mentioned, this is fixed. This is firmly fixed. God loves His people. He will redeem His people. He will care for His people. Mm. He will fulfill His covenant, even if it means going beyond it, making a new covenant mm. to fulfill the problem that's fundamental, which is their, the human heart. Yeah, I mean. It is. This has to make you feel small to look at a God like this, right? Yeah. Even 2,500 years later, we still can't measure the heavens. We still can't measure the world around us, right? Yeah. So we have such a yeah. small view of everything. We have calculations that we, you know, use to 
yes. kind of be like, oh, this is how big the heavens are. We have no, we have no idea. Yeah, that's as far as we can see. Yeah. So chapter thirty-two. I mean, I, I hate to move on from thirty-one. It's so good. We'll actually get to more of the new covenant a little bit later because it comes back in. But chapter thirty-two is another one of these signs by Jeremiah. And what happens here is his cousin comes to him and says, "Why don't you buy my field, Jeremiah?" Which seems like a real messed up thing to do. Yeah. Right. He's like Jeremiah. You've been talking about how there's hope. Buy my field. Right. <laughs> put put your money where your mouth is, Jeremiah. <laughs> Verse verses six and seven. We see that. Buy my field. Uh, the the nation's about to be conquered by Babylon. So this guy wants to cash out. Mm-hmm. So it's a smart move. It'd be stupid to buy that field. Right. I mean, Jeremiah has actually been prophesying that this place will be destroyed. Why would he buy? This field, it's like buying a seat on the Titanic right. when you've just prophesied it's going to go down. Mm-hmm. Why would you put your money into that? And yet, God tells him this is going to happen. God tells him to buy it. And so he does in verse 9. He buys the field and weighs out the money to him. And he has witnesses there. So what's this picture of? Well, this this is a picture that God's promise is sure. So Jeremiah is saying, I'm going to... Put a, put a down payment in this land. I'm going to buy a piece of this, this land that God's taking us out of because I know someday God will bring my family back. Mm. That's the picture, right? God's redemption is as sure as his judgment. Yeah. And so Jeremiah is willing to put, put his money into this property. It's, a, it's a, an interesting thing, right? I do feel like sometimes that is how it is in, in our culture. Mm. Like we're investing in things that sometimes it feels like we're, we're buying land during a siege. Mm. It's, it's not, in so many human ways, it wouldn't be a wise use of money hmm. or a wise use, really, of resources and energy and, and our life, life effort, and yet God redeems, right? God uses those efforts, and, God, and we're investing as people into a world that is fading away because we believe in a world to come. Right. And those are investments, down payments into the next life. Yeah. So I, I love that picture. And then we see some, some important words in verse 37, Chapter 32, verse 37 says, Behold, I will gather them. I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Mm. Kind of sounds like Revelation 21, yep. right? Yeah. I we've, mean, we've seen that phrase before, but... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the, the hope that we can back with our maker, right? Yeah. So. I will give them one heart in one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. Verse 41, I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. Hmm. God's going to plant them again. That's that word coming back from chapter 1, verse 10. Mm -hmm. He's going to plant them finally. This is the future hope, right? That God's going to bring them back, establish them, forever and verse 42 and in that section there talks about how fields will be bought again (laughs) right fields will be bought and deeds will be signed and god will restore their fortunes Mm -hmm. so that's the sign that 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 jeremiah chooses well he's told by god to perform right it's for a reason it's because it's a sign of the hope that they have Mm -hmm. this is not the final word for them judgment not the final word chapter 33 we see a little bit more about the new covenant, the Davidic covenant and its fulfillment in the new covenant in chapter 14. 
says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Mm-hmm. In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So a righteous branch, again, that's the Isaiah language, Isaianic, I guess you could say, language, um, that David's going to have an offspring. Right. That, that's the Messiah. He's going to come. And in verse 17 says, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. So God's going to fulfill that promise, going to bring, he's going to reestablish the Davidic line, and they're going to reign over the world. Mm. And again, that same same language we saw in chapter 30, chapter 31, um, verse 20 here. So chapter 33, verse 20, thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, Verse 21, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken. Yeah, that's sure. It's going gonna, it's gonna to last. So God, God is going to establish that. He will not forget. So that, I mean, that really is the heart of the book, mm-hmm. this, this symbol that, or this, this you know, promise that this new covenant will come that will change us from the inside out. That's what we need most of all. Yeah. Now, the rest of the book of Jeremiah is fairly depressing, Yeah. just to be honest. So I'll kind of sum this up quickly for us. And they'll give us this last glimmer of hope, and then we can talk about how this connects and is fulfilled in the New Testament. So chapter 34, um, we see that uh, Jeremiah warns Zedekiah. He goes to warn King Zedekiah, this this king that's on the throne, right? the final king. He warns him that this judgment is coming. Again, same theme again and again, but God's going to bring judgment. He's going to bring them to Babylon. And Zedekiah keeps rejecting Jeremiah's word mm-hmm. over and over again. So the whole idea here is Jeremiah is saying, don't fight this. Mm-hmm. Don't rebel against Babylon because God's bringing you there whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. So instead, surrender, save the people, right, and go in captivity. And Zedekiah won't do it because he thinks that he can keep God's word from being fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So in chapter 35, we see this remnant of the, the Rechabites, these people who follow God, this, this picture that we actually, there actually are people that are following God. There are some, but Israel, right, the, the nation of Judah and the king is, is not part of that. Right. Um, so in chapter 36, the, Jeremiah writes his word down on a scroll and gives it to the king, and the king burns it. Right. And the, the, again, the picture there is the king thinking that he can overcome God's word and what God's going to do. He doesn't right. want to hear the truth. Yeah. He wants to hear something nice like Hananiah prophesied, that they, you know, are going to be safe, right. and Jeremiah's words are offensive to him. So Jeremiah rewrites it mm-hmm. because God's word remains true, right. whether we like it or not. It's a good reminder, yep. um, and he's just constantly warning them again and again and telling them what to do. And this has been the whole history of Israel. Right. There hasn't been, uh, you know, a lack of chances for Israel to do the right thing. The problem is that new covenant hasn't come, and they don't have the Spirit living inside them right. to to lead them to obedience. So, in chapter thirty-seven, Jeremiah is imprisoned. By Zedekiah, in chapter 38, he's cast into a cistern. So he's locked into these cisterns that we read about in chapter 2, This uh, basically this hole in the ground. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's rescued, and he goes back to warn Zedekiah again. So he's, he's rescued <laughs> out of it, but he goes to warn again. And then, and of course, Zedekiah still does not listen. In chapter 39, Jerusalem falls. Mm-hmm. The temple is burned. Zedekiah is taken captive, just like Jeremiah said. Right, and so, and God actually delivers Jeremiah from this. And we see in chapter forty that the guard of of the of the king of Babylon 
frees Jeremiah. You know, he frees Jeremiah and he says, uh, in verse four, behold, I release you today from the chains on your hands. If it seems good to you to come with me to Babylon, come and I will look after you well. But if it seems wrong for you to come with me to Babylon, do not come. Mm. So he says, you can stay here or you can go with me, right? You can live in, in luxury. I mean, this is an important, important guy, so he could live well or he could stay there and Jeremiah decides to stay mm. in the land and he's rewarded with it by being imprisoned by God's people. Mm. So he's, he's imprisoned. The people murder Gedaliah in chapter 41, who's the appointed governor by the Babylons. So they, they think, like they still think after all this that they could resist God's plan. Right. And so they, they, conquer, they, they kill the, the governor even though they shouldn't have done that. And Jeremiah in chapter 42 is warning them don't go to Egypt. They want to go to Egypt. They think they'll find safety there, right. a kind of ally that they can make. He says, don't go down. But in chapter 43, they go down anyway. They take Jeremiah with them. And this kind of, to me, revisits that Moses comparison. Yeah. Remember how we said there's a lot of similarity in their calls, but then he's actually taught, told not to intercede right? Uh, like Moses did. And here we see that he's actually taken to Egypt. <laughs> So he's taken in, by, in bondage by the people to Egypt, and it's believed that's where he dies. Yeah. So he's, he dies in his own sort of exile, right, away from the land. And so, and of course, we see the temple is destroyed, not built. Right. Right. The tabernacle's built with Moses. It's just, the temple's destroyed with Jeremiah. So there's a lot of things that are the, the opposite. And so he has a, one of his signs here is that he points to a stack of stones, right? He, he piles up a bunch of stones and says, that Nebuchadnezzar will conquer and will put his throne here. Mm -hmm. So you can't run from this. Nebuchadnezzar is going to conquer here too. Right. You're all fools. You haven't listened to God's word. <laughs> so the rest of the, the book is really a lot of judgment on the nations. So, you know, he's in Egypt, and so he's prophesying judgment on Egypt and judgment on all the, all the nations. Okay, so I've been taken away from the land. God's now going to execute this judgment on the entire world. Right. It's not just going to be Israel. And it the book ends though with this repetition. It's it's like taken straight out of 2 Kings. A lot of people say this there's there's a few things different about it, but it's basically chapter 52 is basically 2 Kings 25. Mm -hmm. And and some surrounding passages. It's basically just taken out like wholesale and put into the book of Jeremiah and it ends with it ends with a repetition of the destruction of the temple, the, the capturing of Jerusalem, as if we needed to hear that again. Right. And then the very last paragraph, it says it ends on a strange note. We mentioned we mentioned this in Second Kings as well. Yep. But I think it's good to to reemphasize it here and to think about the the implications of this. So what happens is that in Babylon, while Jehoiachin, remember Jeconiah, his curse, Jehoiachin is in captivity. It says that. Verse 31, in the year that um, the, new, the new king of Babylon began to reign, he graciously freed Jehoiachin from king of Judah and brought him out of the prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put off his prison garments and every day of his life, he dined regularly at the king's table. Mm. So he, he lives a life of comfort and luxury and freedom from prison. He doesn't go back to, to Jerusalem, right. but he's given a place of honor above other kings. Mm -hmm. So what's the significance of this is the question, right? Well, why would God put this at the very end? And the, and the reason it seems is because he's saying, 
God still hasn't forgotten the Davidic kings. Right. There's still going to be hope, just as he's pointed to throughout this, that there's going to be someone who will come who will reign. And so we see this little glimpse in this mercy done to Jeconiah or Jehoiachin that God is gracious. Yeah, amen. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's just encouraging that it ends on that little little thread that you can hang your hope on. Absolutely. No. Yeah. So it's great. So, um, yeah, big, big, plot, big uh, New Testament connections here in Absolutely. The, the latter half of Jeremiah. Yeah. So gospel connections that we see. Um, Jeremiah 31.15 that I, I pointed out, this, this prophecy or this mention of lamentation in, in Rama and Rachel weeping for her children, mm-hmm. this is quoted in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 2 after uh, Jesus and his family escape from the Herod's grasp. Right. They, go, they go down to Egypt, actually, and while they're in Egypt, Herod executes judgment. He tries trying to find Jesus, so he kills all of the the male children under two. Right. So he slaughters the infants in order to secure his own power mm. because there's a king of the Jews that's coming, and he's scared of that. And so we see that mentioned, that same same passage quoted in, in Matthew right. as a sign, that as a picture that Jesus is enduring the suffering of his people. Yeah. And he's going through similar circumstances in order to redeem them out of it. Yeah. Jesus was well acquainted with sorrow, as we saw in Isaiah 53. Yeah. Right? He's a man of sorrows. Um, he went through some some horrible things, so so we see that as a, as a picture. We see, of course, a lot of talk of the new covenant mm-hmm. in the New Testament. Obviously, like the the New Testament has a new covenant. That's that's kind of what it's all about. All right. We go to countless passages, but just the ones that are very explicit about it. Um, Luke twenty twenty two, where um, Jesus is having the Last Supper with his disciples, he makes this explicit. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want them to miss it. So they're having the Passover meal, remembrance of their um, freedom from the, from Egypt, the Exodus story, right? God putting the having to put the blood over the doorpost as yep. the the angel of death passes over. Yeah, redemption of life and freedom by God's power. They're doing the same meal, mm-hmm. but it's a sign now of a new covenant. Right. So it's the same, but it's different, and it's better, right? He says this in Luke twenty two twenty, and likewise the cup. He took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Hmm. So this covenant is inaugurated not by the blood of animals as past covenants, but by the blood of Jesus. Right. That is very explicit. And it's very explicit as well in Hebrews chapter 8, which quotes right. from Jeremiah 31 at length. I won't read the whole quote, but just the surrounding surrounding verses. Um, we see that he says, says verse 6, Hebrews 8, 6, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Hmm. For he finds fault with them when he says, and he quotes Jeremiah 31, 31 and following, where he's he's speaking of the new covenant, right? Um, and then he in, ends by saying, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So we are in a new covenant that's been inaugurated by Christ, mm. by his sacrifice. That's how our sins are forgiven. That's how we're made new. That's how the Holy Spirit can make his dwelling in us and empower us to live the kind of life that God calls us to live. Yeah, amen. Yeah, we see there in, in Hebrews 8 the fulfillment of what was promised in Jeremiah in the person of Jesus. It that's is, right, absolutely. It's awesome. That's the way we can have hope and assurance. And remember, we can be back with God in a relationship face-to-face. 
So. Absolutely. It's pretty cool. Amen. Yeah. Well, that's all we got, right? That's right. Sweet. Well, thanks for joining us uh, for Daily Gospel. Hope you enjoyed Jeremiah, and we'll see you next week.